Let's go ahead and open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, I'm going to read verses 9 through 13 just to give us context, but we're going to focus in uh, tonight on verse 13 especially. Colossians 3, verse 9, these are the words of God. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we have gathered together as your people, called out of darkness and called into your marvelous light. We are grateful that Jesus has made us alive by the power of the Spirit, and we trust that the Spirit will give us power to walk in your ways and obey your commands. Help us to hear and understand your word tonight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight we're going to continue our One Another series, and I want to take just a, a tonight and probably next week um, to examine a few of the ways that we can, as a new community, learn to put into practice these types of things, these One Anothers that are in Scripture. And there are dozens of them, so we're not going to do every single one, but We'll talk a little bit more next week about some of the various ones that are there. But the Bible has a lot to say about ethics in the wider sense, um, but it also has a lot to say about ethics in a particular sense, especially when it comes to the people of God, especially when they're doing things in a remote place, a uh, very close proximity, you might say. The Apostle Paul, in fact, he spends much of, of his letters, a lot of his letters, usually we think of Paul, he's just talking a bunch of doctrine, and that's exciting and great. Well, he spends just as much time talking about practical things. Much of his letters are about encouraging each other, rebuking one another, instructing the church on how to act, how to behave, how to treat one another. And so those types of things we need to consider. As we'll see in a minute, Paul tells us how to treat each other, not in just how we, not in just our actions towards each other, but also our reactions to each other. How do we respond to each other? Given the nature of Christianity, that is, um, we are sinners who are justified by faith um, through grace alone, right? We have to keep in mind that the sinner part still lingers around sometimes. 
The old self, we can call it. The old self wishes to rear its ugly head. And that doesn't just happen inside of us. It can come out of us as well. It can spill over into the rest of the Christian community. So each one of us is in this same God-glorifying predicament. Christ died to pay for our sin. We're clothed in his righteousness. And now we have to walk this journey of sanctification together, knowing that as we look around the room, not a single one of us has all of our stuff in order. So patience towards one another is essential because not a single one of us has ever arrived. We haven't reached the point of perfect sanctification, which the idea of perfect sanctification is an oxymoron anyway, because by its very definition, sanctification is this ongoing thing. It's an ongoing process of God rooting out all aspects of inconsistency in our lives, all aspects of things that do not line up with God's perfect holy standard. So none of us can say, I'm done. I'm good to go. The Spirit has given me, I'm, I've arrived. I am now completely up to par with God's standards, so I don't need to learn anything else. No one says that. No one can say that. Anybody who should, anybody who sh- does say that should probably be pushed aside. I don't know. Something. <laughs> so this side of glory, none of us can say that we've achieved sanctification. We are in principle holy and sanctified, no doubt, but there's also this progressive, ongoing thing that we have to sort through. So none of us is fully aligned with God in thought, word, and deed. We're not aligned with the perfect law of liberty completely and utterly to the uttermost, right? So the process is ongoing, it is continuous, and part of this undertaking is doing all of this together. Doing this together. So let's look at our text. First, I want you to see in verse 12 that there's an audience here. There is a recipient to this exhortation. Look at verse 12. Paul writes this to those who have been chosen of God. Notice that phrase, chosen of God, holy and beloved. So we're chosen. God has elected us to salvation. He has set us apart in Christ. He's called us holy. That's who we are, we are holy. You might call it, you've maybe heard the phrase sinner saints. That's fine. We're just, we're um, simul justus et peccator in Latin. We are simultaneously just and sinful. We're, we're given an alien righteousness through Jesus Christ. But also, we are called, because of all of that, we are called beloved. You are the beloved of God. So we, can, we, we should consider ourselves beloved and know that deep in our minds, we need to know that deep in our minds and in our hearts. Now, because of this objective truth, Paul tells us to put on some clothing and thus dress for the occasion. We're told to put some things on. You're supposed to get dressed for a particular situation, a particular circumstance, an occasion. These things, Paul says are to be put on in order to function together in Christian community. So, what type what types of clothing are we supposed to be wearing? Well, he says right here in verse 12, he says put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
and patience. Some of these you will have seen in the book of Galatians. They are the fruit of the Spirit. But in a sense, all of these are, are fruit of the Spirit. Why is that the case? Well, because the natural man can't do any of these things. Only the elect, only the holy, only the beloved of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can put these types of clothes on. They're the only ones who can wear them. So the natural man can try, but ultimately he cannot do so. He's dead in his sins. So Paul says to put these things on. These are clothes that you have to wear. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul goes on in our verse here in verse 13 to explain what happens when we put those sorts of things on. What happens when you put these things on? Well, you you bear with one another. That's our focus tonight, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Forgiving each other if anyone has a complaint against the other. So when our lives are marked by hearts of compassion, when we've, been, when we've put on the clothing of kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, those are things that you, church, that we are supposed to put on. You have to wear them. You don't just wake up and sort of go about your day. You put clothes on to ready yourself for the day. You wear these things. So when, we, when we're marked by hearts of compassion, when we put on the clothes of kindness and humility and patience and gentleness, we then in turn, we are equipped and thus we are dressed for the occasion that may arise when we need to bear with one another or forgive each other. So the, when the occasion comes, and it will come, won't it? It will come. If you've been married five minutes, you know the occasion will come. When you find yourself in a particular snafu with a brother or sister in Christ, you have to dress properly for the occasion. Otherwise, you won't be ready. No one is going to bear with each other if he is lacking patience or gentleness. It's impossible. No one is going to forgive the other when her heart is lacking compassion. You have to dress for the occasion. You have to suit up for the situation. You as a person lacking in humility and gentleness towards a brother or sister in Christ is like showing up to a funeral with your mud boots and overalls. That's what it's like. You dealing with your brother or sister with a lack of humility and gentleness and patience is like showing up to a funeral with your overalls, having just shoveled you-know-what in the horse stables. You're not dressed for the occasion. You're going to stand out. It's going to be awkward, and it probably will stink. That's the, that's the analogy Paul gives us. So you're not, you are not dressed for the occasion, and you're never going to be prepared uh, to deal with the occasion if you don't have the proper spirit-filled clothing on. So what does that mean? Well, this means that we must be constantly cultivating these virtues ahead of time. You don't, you don't get to the time of the event and then ask, well, what should I wear? This lack of planning will not prepare you for the event. You're not prepared. And as the saying goes, a failure to plan is a plan to failure, right? A plan to fail. So the same thing goes with how the Bible tells us we should bear with one another and how we should react towards one another. So if none of us is putting on the the necessary clothes, then we will be in this constant state of inexorable confusion. So your job 
And my job is to be putting on a heart of compassion and so on. And when we do that, we are ready to face whatever circumstance comes our way. And it will come your way. Listen, Christian living is not a string of fortuitous events. We believe in God's predestination, which means that since he has declared the end from the beginning, that's what Isaiah tells us, all things that come our way come by his sovereign hand. The hurricane was from the sovereign hand of God. Way too many Christians believe that God just sort of spun the universe into existence and these and Mother Nature sort of just had a mishap somewhere off the coast of Africa, which generated a whole lot of stuff and, and junk. And as you know, hurricanes need water to continue, so it just feeds and feeds and feeds, and it hit the coast of North Carolina, and, well, that's just it. I guess that's just how the world works. To quote the late R.C. Sproul, there's not a maverick molecule in the universe that just does its own thing. God is a meticulously sovereign God. So these things don't just accidentally happen. God has his purposes and he has his ways, So all of this means that Christian living together like this is not a roll of the dice, right? You don't just, you don't get to just guess which clothes to wear and then you show up for the occasion hoping for the best. Christian living is not fortuitous. It's not random chance. Christian living with each other requires diligence, preparation, anticipation, and constant evaluation. I'll say it again. Because too much of Christian living is this pietistic nonsense. If you want to bear with your brothers and sisters in Christ, forgive each other, right, and put on the clothes of humility and patience and gentleness and a heart of compassion. If you want to do all that, Christian living requires you. It requires diligence. It requires preparation. It requires anticipation. It requires constant evaluation. So put those things on, Paul says. Put them on. Know that there will be circumstances that will arise that will require us to bear with one another and have a plan for it. Dress for it. Now, before we move on, I want to talk about this word bear here, bearing with one another. What is Paul getting at? The word actually, if you break it down, comes from two different words. One of them means from, and the other one means to have. So literally, it means to hold up or back from falling. To hold up or back, depending on the direction, from falling. So in Amos 4, 7, it speaks of rain being withheld. Rain is withheld. The way this word is used here has to do with the idea of holding oneself or someone else upright, meaning you're enduring someone, you are bearing with someone. To bear with someone is to help hold them upright. Now, the point here in Colossians 3.13 is that in the context of, of people, in the context of people, we are to bear with one another. In other words, we are supposed to have patience with regard to errors or weaknesses or other foibles of human being, beings. Now, when I think of Crossing Crown Church, we are a motley crew, no doubt. Like, some of us came here and we didn't really know each other that well. Some of us knew each other a little bit better than others. Some of us not as much. Um, So there's a dynamic there that we have to deal with. We have to sort of deal with the fact that 
we sort of just kind of came together. And yeah, there was planning, there was some preparation, but a lot of these subtle subtleties about Christian living together and community, a lot of these things, especially the way we're doing it, where we're very like mission-focused, business-focused, you know, abolitionist-minded, when we're focused on those things, it's easy to lose sight of the basics of Christian living, bearing with one another, loving one another, serving each other, those types of things. So we have to sort of think about those and don't forget about them. Don't leave them behind because it can build up and, you know, that can be bad. Build up in the engine blocks going to ruin your engine. That's what happens. So the word simply means if someone's falling, it's our job to hold them up. That's the point here. That's the visual picture that the Apostle Paul is giving us. Now, a couple of examples of its usage. Jesus said this in Matthew 17, 17. He said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, Jesus was often not very nice. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I, here's our word, put up with you? In the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew. It says in Isaiah 46, 4, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. This idea of carrying someone. If someone is going through a difficult time, and you want to bear with them, you are carrying them. You're helping carry them. Now that verse is God speaking to his people. No doubt God sustains us. No doubt God carries us. But we're supposed to do the same toward the other. The point Paul makes here, and he says the very same thing, um, that Matt read back in Ephesians 4.2 is that we are to exhibit patience and long-suffering towards each other. That's what we're supposed to do. We must be willing to possibly endure, hold up, and tolerate some level of difficulty in our relationships. Did you hear me? We must be willing to possibly endure and hold up and tolerate some level of difficulty in our relationships. So obviously the context here is more so with our brothers and sisters in this particular gathering, this community. But think of it even in any relationship you've ever been in. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Again, you're married five minutes and you've already figured out they're sort of weird. They're different. They do things differently than I would. They, you know, they don't put their clothes away that I do, away the way I do. They don't, they don't think on those terms. And, and once you sort of get that um, marriage thing going down the hill several years down the, down the line, you start to, you realize either someone's, we often will change. Usually that happens. I, I'm definitely different 12 years married in now 12 years ago I was a lot different but we sort of learn to bear with each other and you forgive each other and and there are certain things you just you have to figure out as you go it's the same thing not only in a marriage relationship but in Christian community so we have to hold each other up we have to tolerate to some degree this sanctification that happens in other people that's what we're supposed to do and it, and it doesn't take long for anyone to realize that this is simply how Christian community functions. We are not perfect. None, none of us are perfect. None of us has reached glory yet. We're going to do things that are probably going to irritate the other person. Why do they do it that way? 
Why is, why is he like that? Or why is she like that? And it's not even major sin issues. It's just, maybe we're, we're all weird, right? <laughs> we all have quirks. So it doesn't take long to figure out what these things are. When Christian community is done in a manner consistent with the Bible, suddenly those, those foibles and those flaws and quirks, they start to show up. Living in close proximity with people brings all the gunk to the surface. Now, moving into a new home, you don't know the character of the house. You don't know the character of the house. You don't know about the leaky faucet right away. You don't know how the water heater functions or doesn't, as it were. You don't also know how the knobs work. When you're tiptoeing through the house at night and you're on hardwood floors, you can't expect to know where all the creaks and the squeaks are in the floors. You don't know that stuff yet. You haven't been there long enough. The same is true with the household of God. You have to live in the house. You have to get to know the imperfections. And when you know them, you have to deal with them. So you can only pretend that the ceiling isn't leaking for so long. And then you have a major problem on your hand. Which is why Paul tells us here in Colossians, he tells them and us today, we are supposed to put on things. We're supposed to put on certain virtues in order to deal with this disheveled house. So when the Bible tells us to bear with one another, it's not telling us to do something we're unable to do. The Bible is not telling us to do something that we are unable to do. Now, perhaps in our own flesh, we cannot do it, but we are, we are of the Spirit and we're told to walk in the Spirit. So the command, the command here is to put on. That's the command in, this, in the logic here. Now, the result of you putting on these things is bearing with one another. So don't people jump to that. Oh, we're commanded to bear with one another. That's not the command here. The command is to put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility. And when you do that, when you obey that command, then you are ready to bear with one another. Then you are ready to forgive each other. And that bearing, Paul says, looks strangely and oddly like forgiveness. Look at verse 12, or excuse me, 13. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. There's a reason he goes with forgiveness right there. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, right? Bring forgiveness just as the Lord forgave you, so you must also. So also should you. So when you see an imperfection in your brother or sister, what will your response be to that person's interaction with you? It could be a sin. It could be a sin issue. Now we have to deal with that. If it's a sin problem and you've been sinned against, if it's sin against you, it's your job to do one or two of two things. One, Proverbs 19.11 says that it's a glory of a man to overlook an offense. So you can overlook that. Or two, you have to confront it, which is your responsibility. It's your responsibility. But what we can't do is demand that people be patient with us all the while being impatient with them. We cannot expect and demand and stipulate that people bear with our quirks all the while we complain and gossip and grumble about theirs. Listen, it's not forbearance if we're murmuring our way through it. It's not forbearance if we are murmuring our way through it. So you can be assured that in that moment, 
that the moment bitterness and murmuring and muttering enters into your heart, enters into the picture, that you've lost the bear with one another thing. It's gone. Listen, <clears throat> get this. It's very simple, but it's, it's important to get. Human interaction is economic transaction. Human interaction is economic transaction. The way humans act and react is more than simply matter interacting with matter, right? We do not exist in a world of, world of pure materialism, so human, human interaction is always an economic transaction. So all of our dealings are more, uh, our dealings with each other is more than just materialistic transactions. There are emotions involved, aren't there? There are emotions involved with our interaction with each other. Um, physical touch isn't just physical touch, right? It's not just physical touch. There's, there's emotions there. There's spirituality involved because we are more than just bags of meat, right? We are body and soul. We are spirit and matter, and God owns all of it. But all human, all human interaction is economic transaction. So we are always giving and receiving more than just goods and services, are we? So that's why Paul, he says in economic terms, he says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. That's Romans 13.8. So all of this is simply to say that our human transactions are deposits and withdrawals. They're credits and debits with each other. Think about it. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, right? This is from, from Jesus. It's better to give than to receive. Now, if you think about that and you tease that principle out, you receive a bigger blessing when you give. It's sort of like this kingdom, like backwards multiplication. You multiply your blessing when you give more than when you receive. So when we, when we walk this Christian life together, we need to keep in mind something important. We are giving ourselves away to each other. That's what we're doing. We are giving ourselves away to each other. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely you must give. We are, we've been bought with a price. That's 1 Corinthians. We've been bought with a price, which means that we are not our own autonomous selves. Think about it. Think about, you may be walking through a situation now. I don't know, maybe you are. And you, have, you are trying to deal with forgiveness with someone. It's a lot of emotions involved. There's bitterness, there's envy, there's anger. Sort of these things are there and they're sort of bubbling up. And you're trying to figure out a way to deal with it. And, 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 and maybe it's a sin issue and you just need to confront it, fine. But maybe it's not and, and maybe you're just too proud. <laughs> maybe you're just being too arrogant. Maybe you're too proud to, to give, a, you want a lot of grace but you're not gonna give it to them. So whatever that situation is, you have to realize that Jesus said, the Bible says we've been bought with a price. We are not our own autonomous selves, which means that we belong to each other. And the way we belong to each other is our work together, our life together. And we are able to bear with one another when we realize that we are not our own. We belong to Christ. So our lives are meant to be spent. Yet another economic term. So we are giving away that which God has given us. Think about it. If you are not your own, and you're not, 
You have been bought with a price. You've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. If you are not your own and you are failing to give away to the other person, what are you saying about Christ? You are saying that you don't belong to him. He's not your master. You're not his slave. So now what? You're stuck. We give away ourselves and we give away to one another the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this economic transaction is, which is why all of this ends the way Paul does, the way he does with his exhortation in verse 13. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. See, we have to talk about sin the way the Bible talks about sin, no doubt. Call it for what it is. Call it for what it is. But we should also keep in mind that we have to deal with sin the way the Bible tells us to. You can't just call it a sin and then deal with it on your own terms. We have to call it what it is and deal with it the way the Bible says we should. And this simply means that if if we're going to accomplish the things God wants us to accomplish, we have to take seriously how we do this one another thing. All of it, every single ounce of it, must be in terms of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and his law. We are told to love one another. We are told to, to treat each other lawfully. And here's the entire punchline to this message. Kids, listen. Our admiration for Christ's forgiveness, our admiration for Christ's forgiveness leads us to an imitation of his forgiveness. That's the principle in verse 13. Our admiration for Christ's forgiveness leads us to an imitation of his forgiveness. So to the degree that we admire and we esteem and we revere and we value and we treasure Christ's forgiveness of us, that's the degree to which we will imitate his forgiveness towards others. This is yet again another economic transaction. The more admiration for Christ's forgiveness of us that we have in the credit column, the more that we can debit out to others. The more we walk in the Spirit, the better dressed we are to deal out this grace to others. So if you walk about in your daily life failing to appreciate, failing to behold the glory of Christ in the gospel message, if that tank isn't full, then you aren't going to have anything to extend to others. That's the economic transaction. That's behind all of human relationships. It started in the Garden of Eden, and it continues through history until the consummation of all things. We are economic transaction people. That's what we do. We have a credit column and a debit column. If the credit column isn't full of Christ and putting on patience and humility, you will never debit out something to others. It's basic economics. You can't give someone true forgiveness if you don't have it. You can't give someone patience if you don't have it. You can't bear with someone if you don't know what it means to be able to do so. Not until we are fully and utterly captivated by Christ's forgiveness will we be able to then grant it to others. So that's basic economics 101. You can't give something someone you don't have. Now, one of the things you may have heard or said pertains to this very, 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 this very issue. And I'm just going to say it up front. We have to knock it off. We have to stop. This type of thinking is absolutely incorrect. It's entirely unhelpful. And yet this is 
what usually prevails in evangelicalism, and here it is. Are you ready? You probably heard this type of thing. Aren't you glad Jesus tolerates us? Right? That's, have you heard that said before? Well, Jesus tolerates me. I guess I better tolerate her or him. What we're really saying is, aren't you glad that Jesus puts up with my sin? You know, he doesn't really care enough to deal with it. Aren't you glad he just sort of lets it go on? Now, whether we mean it or not, that's what it says. Listen, Jesus doesn't just put up with you. He doesn't just tolerate you. You know, most, most days he's just annoyed with your behavior, but some days he's kind enough to just sort of tolerate it and move on. No, that is not the gospel message. He loves us with a perfect, self-giving love. Jesus doesn't tolerate you. He adores you. He loves you enough to sanctify you, to grow you into his image. Yes, he's patient. Yes, he's long-suffering. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Jesus does bear with us, no, no doubt. But his love for us cannot be reduced down to mere toleration of us. His love is fierce and bold and it's courageous. And this love does the hard work of giving his spirit to us, sanctifying us and making us more like him. So he doesn't just accept that we're rebellious and move on. He breaks us with his spirit. See, when you see yourself, when you see yourself as the chief of sinners and you, you see Christ as the supreme savior, you begin to look at others in an appropriate way. And here's the thing. We, we can say we believe all this stuff. After all, we're reconstructionists, right? We have the answers for everything. We are intelligent we are eloquent. We can fix the government in five seconds, mostly by just making it go away. But we have all the answers, right? We have all the answers. And this may be true, but can we do basic things? Can we do basic things? Can you actually bear with the person next to you? Can you forgive them with the same economic formula that Christ employed to forgive you? Can you? Because listen, how we treat each other reveals what we actually think of each other. How we treat each other reveals what we actually think of each other. How, listen, how we, how we behave and treat each other doesn't reveal what we think we believe. It reveals what we really do believe. How you act reveals what you actually believe about God and his world and his law. So when you treat your brother or sister a certain way, it doesn't reveal what you think about your doctrinal, what your opinions might be. It tells us what you actually believe. So if you are unable to bear with one another, it means your theology does not align with your actions and thus you are a hypocrite. If you cannot forgive the other, bear with them and then discharge the debt, then what you are saying is that you do not understand the gospel. It's just that simple which is why we need to admire Christ enough to be able to imitate him. That's the secret to Christian living, to dress, to dressing properly for the occasion, having, having a posture of humility towards God because of what Christ has done to bring you salvation will inevitably lead you to imitate the same thing towards others. So dress appropriately, saints. The time will come when you need to be ready to give an example for what it means to live a spirit-filled life 
a gospel-saturated life, and it starts here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a challenging word. Your Spirit has has given us these words, and they are hard. They are hard because we are oftentimes a stiff-necked people. And instead of being softened by these words, we resist them in our pride, and thus we further the hardening of our hearts. So we ask that you would grant us a deeper appreciation for the forgiveness that we have in Christ, that we wouldn't forget about the gospel and thus fail to dress appropriately, but instead be eager to imitate that which you have done for us. And I pray for our community here that we would bear with one another in love, that we would be quick to forgive and overlook an offense, that the culture established here would be one based on the gospel of your Son. It's his name I pray. Amen.